Welcome to Game Changers, the show that's about playing by your own rules when it comes to your career. Join us as we speak with people who have taken the road less traveled and found their niche. I'm your host, Seth Robinson. I would love a world where the word social is taken out of it, where every entrepreneur is a social entrepreneur, every business is a social business. Manita Ray is the CEO of YGAP, one of Australia's most successful not-for-profit companies. You might have heard of YGAP in recent years through the Polish Man campaign, which supports causes to counter violence against children. Today, Manita is joining us to speak about her work and what it takes to make change happen. Manita, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Seth, and it's great to see the homework you've done. I much appreciate that. Can you tell us a little bit to start about YGAP and what it is you guys do? Yeah, sure. So YGAP, we're 10 years old. Um, we are an international development organization, but as you pointed out, we do things a little bit differently. So instead of us imposing our ideas on solutions to alleviate poverty, what we do that's really different is we actually find local leaders, uh, people who are living in the communities who actually understand what the issues are. They've lived it, they've breathed it, they're still there. And they're the ones who come up with innovative solutions to mm. the problems they see, and then we back them. And so what do we mean by that? But so we find these entrepreneurs, we put them through our accelerator program, and then we support them longer term so they can actually achieve the maximum impact in their communities. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, our aim is that these local leaders can transform their communities, and then we walk away. So we are a touch point in their journey. So it's really kind of about building agency from the inside, it sounds like. Absolutely. And, you know, this comes from my background as well. You know, I'm mm -hmm. from India, and my parents are from a really poor part of India. So I've seen poverty from the day I was born. Because of that, I've always been told by my own family, you know, you can't come. You're, you're from Australia. You can't come and tell us how to fix things here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the people living on the ground who are seeing it every day that know what the answers are. Um, and that's exactly the philosophy we have at YGAP. So it's, it's bringing in my personal experience as well as my professional experience. One of the things you mentioned in there was the accelerator program. We've had a few of our guests who've come in and done startups themselves and have talked about going through accelerator mm -hmm. programs. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? What is an accelerator program? Yeah, absolutely. So we have an accelerator which focuses on social impact. And again, that's kind of different from some of the other accelerators around. Mm -hmm. And why that's different is we make sure that every single entrepreneur that comes into our program has a defined social impact and that they are working towards alleviating poverty. Some of them might have a financial return and obviously we want them to in the end, but the real aim is for them to have a really deep, broad impact and something that is scalable. Not scalable so they can become rich and famous, mm -hmm. but scalable so they can transform the communities and really shift the systems that they are actually suffering under. Um, so our accelerator program has, I guess, four rough components, but we spend a lot of time finding these entrepreneurs. That's a really important part of our program because so many of these entrepreneurs come from very marginalized backgrounds. Mm -hmm. They're often living in poverty-stricken areas themselves. So they are head down doing their work. They don't actually think about, you know, I, I need some assistance to, to make myself better. So a lot of the time they would have started these projects already. They would have, yeah. yeah. So they need to have started the, uh, their venture before they come to us. So right. we, d we say you don't need to have um, any revenue coming in. If you do, that's great. But you definitely have to have some impact. So we say between one to ten people, mm -hmm. they would have had to have impacted by the time they come to us. So we spend a lot of time finding these entrepreneurs. They go through a really um, diligent 
application process and then we select the ones coming into our program and we have a really strong focus on gender and marginalized groups because we know that entrepreneurs who come from marginalized backgrounds tend to have a better impact model believe it or not because they have great innovative thinking our accelerator program is a five-day intensive we take them off-site this is across the four countries uh, and two regions that we work in we take them off-site there's 15 of them we basically what i say we we help rip apart their model and then they hate us and then they love (laughs) us because we get them to put it back Mm -hmm. together uh, to make it even stronger. By the end of it, they have a strong operation, operational model and a model that can generate scalable impact. After that, we support them. Mm-hmm. So usually about two out of the 15 um, are what we call rock stars. They're the ones who like who come in and we're like, wow, these guys are game changers, <laughs> right? And um, we, But we support all these entrepreneurs. But those roughly two out of each one, we bring them into growth. And that means they are eligible for either growth funding, around mm-hmm. $25,000, maybe a bit more, or investments. And they're the ones who we hope are going to impact, say, around 50,000 lives within three to five years. That's incredible. So one of the campaigns I think people would know YGAP from the most is probably the Polish Man campaign, yes, which absolutely. just wound up for this year. I just took my nail polish off, oh, actually. Um, and that, you know, has really gotten quite huge. It has a lot of celebrity endorsement. Can you tell us a little bit about how that project kind of came about, if you know? I know it yeah. probably predated you as CEO. It did predate me. That was actually founded by our uh, founding CEO, Elliot mm-hmm. Costello, who um, he actually went on a tour and met this little girl called Thea. And she sat down with him and um, during a conversation, painted one, painted all his nails blue and drew a love heart. And he found out through that process, um, through that conversation, that she had been subject to you know, severe violence as a child. And from that, he came up with this idea of polished man. You know, let's get, you know, men mostly, but also Mm -hmm. women to polish a nail um, to start that conversation around ending violence against children. Um, So it started off as an idea. And then this year we've raised just over 1.7 million. Wow. Um, Yeah, it's been fantastic. And so in addition to all the celebrity endorsements, you know, there's a real movement of people who are doing the right thing and who actually want to stand up and say, no, we don't stand for violence against children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what we've seen evolve through the campaign. It's not just starting a conversation, which has been really, really important, but it's actually empowering most of the people who are saying, we don't believe in this, right? And and we are proud and uh, we don't try and disempower them. We don't try and make fe- people feel bad about it. We're like hey, you can actually do something about it. The other great thing that this campaign's done is it's actually given a voice to many people who otherwise would not have spoken. Mm -hmm. And that was a surprising thing for us, but it's actually so amazing. Um, We have a couple of individuals who, for the first time in their lives, is talking about stories about how they were sexually abused as children. And they've come and spoken at our events, and it's often the first time they've done it. So for us to be able to create that change for them is so powerful. Um, We are also committed now to run an accelerator which is going to focus on ventures that are working towards ending violence against children. So that's a huge thing that's come out of our work Mm -hmm. um, and we're hoping to launch that in the next 12 months. So as well as offering the services that you do as an accelerator program and funding, it sounds like the team at YGAP has real experience in developing a startup that aids the cause as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, YGAP started as a startup, 
around 10 years ago. Um, so it's a it's a beautiful story. So Y Gap in Melbourne was, uh, I think it was by six uh, six six friends, Elliot and his mates, um, and and whole lot of volunteers. And uh, there was a really strong focus on impact, and and they mm-hmm. wanted to do good in the world. And then about four years ago, they merged with Spark International, which was our impact arm, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then only this year we've rebranded as a whole as Y Gap. So we're all known as Y Gap now. And the great thing that happened is there were two startup organizations uh, wanting to do the same things, but with very different skill sets. So YGAP in Melbourne had really strong, innovative fundraising initiatives. Uh, Spark International had a had the curriculum and had a really strong impact focus working in the countries that the model is now executed in. Um, they needed fundraising. So it was like a marriage made in heaven. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So two startup cultures, two very different cultures. And by doing so, our fundraising became stronger and our impact grew. Mm-hmm. So it was a very, very exciting time about four years ago. Yeah. It's fantastic you mentioned the startup culture there because mm-hmm. that kind of segues into my next question really nicely. There's been a lot of talk in the media lately about how kind of the new millennial generation want work that's really meaningful for them and they feel like they're making a difference and having a social impact. And I think that's particularly relevant when it comes to startups. People are social entrepreneurs. They want to make that difference in the world. How do you think a social entrepreneur might differ from someone who just wants to do a startup and get a business going and generate capital and that sort of thing? This is something I guess that holds a lot of meaning to me. I would love a world where the word social is taken out of it, where every entrepreneur is a social entrepreneur, every business is a social business or environmental business, and they have really strong roots in in making a profit and doing the right thing. And I actually think we're on the way there. I know this is a, you know, the big hairy goal kind of thing, but um, with the rise of social entrepreneurship and how exciting it is, we're on the way there. Um, People are changing their views. The great thing about millennials and um, kids growing up is to them, this is real. It's not a new concept that's introduced to them. This is what they always think about. With social entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship is really hard still because you're driven by your heart and you're driven by that impatience of something needs to be done to change this. Unfortunately, the places and the communities where this change needs to happen, things are failing. So the government doesn't protect them. Systems don't exist. Infrastructure doesn't exist. Policies don't exist. Money doesn't exist. But guess what? Even in those kind of places, the entrepreneurial spirit exists. And that fires up so strong. And what they need is support. Right. So what they don't have is what YGAP can give them. Mm -hmm. So they are driven by a need to make a change. But what they don't have is the structures to support them. Whereas another entrepreneur will want to definitely solve a problem and make a difference, but they'll also have that financial drive. And I'm not saying social entrepreneurs don't have that financial drive. In fact, we encourage them always to think commercially Mm -hmm. because you have to have sustainability in your operations. But social entrepreneurs find a problem. They find a solution. They don't wait for anything to happen. They just act on it. And that's, that's probably the key to what makes a social entrepreneur so innovative. Do you think there's any particular piece of key advice you would offer someone in that position? Yeah, and this is what we say to everyone, and this is what I check in with myself nearly every day, if not every week, which is, what is the what is your why? 
why are you actually doing this yourself, right? It has to be something that really, really ticks you off Mm -hmm. because when everything fails and things fail, right? Your team will let you down. You're going to run out of money. Something's going to, the school that you built is going to burn down. The business that you run is going to go under. You have to go back to that why because that never changes. And that is what's going to keep you waking up in the morning. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, is there really a problem to solve? Mm -hmm. Is this something that you think is exciting? Great. That's really good. But if it's not a real problem that you're solving, then the reality is it's very unlikely that there's going to be take up on that. And that's going to be customers for that. Do you find that people sometimes are looking for a problem? All the time. Like just kind of want to create something for the sake of building? All the time. And I think that's human nature and that's part of everyone's creativity. And that's not a bad thing at all. The reality is you can do that, but it's very unlikely it's going to scale. It's very Mm -hmm. unlikely it's going to have a deep impact. You might get a great startup with great financial returns. Um, A lot of things we buy and we like, we use our disposable incomes for that. They're not necessities, right? Um, The analogy we always use is make sure the problem you're solving is like a painkiller, not a vitamin. That's a really fantastic analogy. I really like that. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. So you studied as an engineer initially and worked in that field. How is it that that led to the not-for-profit sector for you? As I said, you know, my family come from India, from um, a place called Calcutta. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen poverty from a young age. And I think I knew from a very young age it wasn't right. Um, I used to work with, not work, I used to, when we used to go and visit, there was a little boy called Ramu who used to come and help us and, you know, do our groceries and things like that. And that's very normal in India. He was the same age as me and yet he had a very different life to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, for example, he wouldn't eat at the same table I would eat at. And he would sit on the floor. I was like, I don't understand why. And he goes, no, 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 because, you know, I'm coming to work for you. I'm like, mm, I don't know. So I'd used to, I used to just hang out with him. But that kind of fueled, um, I guess, the thought process in my mind that the world is unequal, basically because of where we're born and and what's been made available to us. My father basically made his way um, out of the communities that he grew up in um, and he became an engineer. And so I swore on my life I would never study engineering. (laughs) Not that I don't love my dad. I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, And then I became an engineer. But it was a very thought out process. At that time, I wanted to work in international development. I knew I was really good at maths and science. So that was the interest from the get-go. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I did a lot of research. You know, I knew that um, water was a big issue, sanitation was a big issue, and how could I contribute to that? So I did environmental engineering to build really big toilets, as my friends (laughs) like to describe it, or um, water infrastructure in Mm -hmm. places that needed it. Um, So I did that, and then I took a year off to travel, as we all do, and I actually spent some time in Costa Rica. And that's, I guess, when I found my element, because I was volunteering over there, Mm -hmm. and I was finally with a group of people who never questioned um, purpose and working for purpose. And we were building water tanks and pipelines and literally digging things up with our hands because there was no electricity or hot water. There was nothing actually there in that community. This is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. It Um, kind of brought all things together. Absolutely. Yeah. So I did that for a while. And then I um, I did my MBA as well um, with the intent to move into the not-for-profit sector, again, from following all my research. And then I basically volunteered with a charity until they gave me a job because they said, what is it? What is an engineer doing coming? 
doing to work with refugees and asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I volunteered with them. And then, yeah, I worked with them for a couple of years. And that was my foray into the not-for-profit social sector. Which led eventually to YGAP. And we've come full circle again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's been a it's been an interesting journey because in, in the pure not-for-profit sector, um, you're very much donor-funded and you're delivering services. And um, I have a very um, strong business mind and a strong, from, from a very early age, my very first engineering job was in wind farms. We were building wind farms, right? So generating profit, but doing incredible good in the world. This mm-hmm. is before people knew about it, before talks about climate change and renewable energy were attractive. You know, we were called tree-hugging hippies, and I, and I was one, and I probably still am. <laughs> but that business for profit and purpose for profit concept was embedded very early in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's come full circle here at YGAP because that's exactly what we do. We encourage businesses to operate commercially, but with a really strong purpose. And I suppose in its purest sense, often innovation would really be taking place before people were discussing it. So when you were still a hippie, as you said, if you're truly at the cutting edge, you're well out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, to give you some examples, the word entrepreneurships and startups, everyone's using them now. The reality is in communities stricken by poverty, in war-torn areas, entrepreneurship is, is survival, mm-hmm. right? Everyone is an entrepreneur. I've seen my uncles and my aunties have amazing little businesses because they need to survive, right? Mm-hmm. It is, it's, it's not something that's sexy and cool. It is survival. It's fantastic that, you know, we're capturing that and we're embracing that, but that is what gets these communities out of poverty. So YGAP now has been around for about 10 years, as you mentioned at the start of the recording. What kind of challenges have come with, you know, reaching that mark? And I suppose you're scaling continuously and growing bigger. How do you feel like it's kind of evolved in the time that you've been with the organization and challenges you think you might have to tackle in the future? Yeah, sure. Great question. Um, I guess the need is always there, right? And I have an incredible team who are not just purpose driven, but they're incredibly hardworking. And we just had a team come back from visiting some of our communities in South Africa. And even now, we see how big and the problems are. Mm-hmm. And we have to just sit there and go, oh my goodness, are we actually making a difference, right? And it's a really important thing to acknowledge because, as I said, we are a touch point in these journeys. And we always regroup. So in a couple of weeks, we're all meeting as a team to look at the strategy for the next couple of years. And I think what's always important to look at is, are we actually doing what the community is telling us, right? Mm-hmm. So we are always being informed by the need. We don't go and build projects. We don't go and do things that the communities don't tell us that they need. That is a real challenge because we're relying on our country directors who are local. So mm-hmm. we make sure that our South African country director is South African and, and she will tell us this is the need. The need always seems much bigger than what we can actually do, mm-hmm. right? But what's happened with YGAP, which is an amazing thing, and now that we're 10 years old, is when I started, I guess we had a really strong model and a team. We probably wouldn't have been able to do the scale of work that we're doing today. Now, hand on heart, we can say we've got a really strong model that we can tweak and change and it's still going to work. Mm -hmm. We've got a really strong team to be able to deliver that. And we've got an organization that's strong enough that we can stretch ourselves and do really go into even tougher communities and um, go into even tougher countries and know that if that fails, us as an organization, 
organization isn't going to fail and the entrepreneurs we've supported aren't going to fail. So we've built strength as an organization mm-hmm. and we're ready to sort of stretch ourselves and do things even tougher. It sounds like a really exciting point to be at where you're able to adapt. Yeah, it yeah. absolutely is. It absolutely is. And it's really easy for us to go, oh, we want to do this and we want to do that and all we need is money to do it. And we always go back and we do need money to do it, but we always go back and go, hang on, are we filling a gap, mm-hmm. right? So the entrepreneurs and communities we work in, no one else is doing that or very few, right? So we call them the missing middle. Mm-hmm. No one is looking at these early stage entrepreneurs because they're very high risk and they need a lot of support, but they are the ones who are game changers, right? So that's what we're doing and we have to keep checking in. So the challenge is the problems are still there. The opportunity is we've got a strong team and a strong model that we can actually service this need and continue servicing it. But wouldn't it be great if one day we're like, we actually don't need YGAP because the communities are completely transformed. Mm -hmm. I think that's when we know we've achieved what we wanted to achieve. One last question and then I'll let you go. And this is one that we ask all of our guests as we're kind of wrapping up the interview, but what's one thing that's not on your resume that has gotten you to where you are today? You know, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about doing things because you're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. I don't like the word passionate. And the reason I don't like it is that is one component of it. And what you don't see in my CV is the crazy amount of hard work that goes into every step of the journey, mm-hmm. right? The yeses and the noes and all the rejections and the continuous determination and the late nights. And I say this because working in a field where the number one focus is purpose is hard. Yes, you can have passion, but you have to have to work hard. It doesn't come easy and never getting let down by the word no or when things aren't going to plan. So it's that hard work and determination. I think that um, has fueled me. It's also burnt me out, but that's probably the main thing. Manita Ray, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Seth. Much appreciated. This has been Game Changers. I've been your host, Seth Robinson. Game Changers is recorded by Chris Hatzis and produced by Sophie Thomas.